The opinions expressed in the following are those of its participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the producers and the Six Talk Podcast Network. Also, the following contains mature material and mild language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Discretion is advised. This is the Anime Roundtable Canada presented by Anime North. You can contact us via email animeroundtable at gmail.com, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Anime Roundtable, and on the web, animeroundtable.com. So I'm going to give everybody here a little credit as we begin tonight. Oh, what gold stars will you be giving us, Mike? Okay, one, this is our third taping in as many weeks. Cue the sound effects. Cue the sound effects. Second... To be fair, we are starting a little later than we intended, but uh, Mo asked that we try and tape into the evening here on Sunday evening, September 24th, 2023, because he thought he'd be better tuned to do it. And Kevin and James were fine with that. And by and large, everybody showed up at the same time, albeit a little late, but everybody showed up at the same time. So I will give everybody a little credit. We're not starting shorthanded. Well, we're not, we're not starting shorthand in the sense that everybody who said they could uh, they would be able to get in today are now here. Mike Nicholas here at six points. James Austin, Kevin Ng, Mohammed Shamarki at other various points in the west end of the Greater Toronto area. Amy Lynn Gregg will is probably preparing for work in the morning of course we'll talk to her uh, in the very near future but we wanted to do a third episode in a row in as many weeks because we had hinted about this over the past couple couple episodes that uh, we wanted to go see this and or see this thing we're going to talk about and it happened came and went we all wanted to talk about it we're i think we're in universal agreement we were we're raving about this so so let's uh let's talk about yukimura makoto's appearance in toronto over the weekend shouldn't and we I, be saying makoto yukimura hey, i know they put it the opposite i know we're they can go either way you can go either way. It's just been well, interesting how they uh, they usually they do it uh, the traditional Western way. It was interesting how all the press was doing it the Japanese way. It was interesting. Well, it's I, I know was, that's why you're saying that was likely Kodansha's decision, or maybe it was Makoto Yukimura's decision. Who knows? You know, it's weird. I mean, we're yes, in the 
And I think this has become a more, for all I know, it could be even a, a Japanese government thing. Story, anecdote to the, on the side. NHK World, when I was watching NHK World, yes, a lot of uh, the presenters, especially if they had, uh, had Japanese names, for a long time, we're presented in presenting themselves, introducing themselves in Western order. In so, given name first, then the family name second. A little over a year and a half ago, the presenters started introducing themselves by family name first, by surname, and then given name. And I that be I wondered at the time if that was internal policy. Or was that meant to be almost government policy? And you, and of course, with Japan Foundation, you would, I would think that's a little bit more. They would adhere more to what is generally requested back home. So, so yes, I think through much of the promotions, did the promotions use surname first? Like in the in, on the on the website or any other any other uh, promotional literature for this, I don't remember. But I, rem- I think I international uh, authors the the Toronto International Festival of Authors I was coming for some of theirs had it Makoto first and then Yukimura second stuff like that. So Japan Foundation I believe did it in. Uh... Japanese pattern, yeah. All of their stuff was in Japanese order. In Eastern style, yeah. Okay. So, just a quick aside. Okay. So, I I do want to kind of get right to it, because it is late enough for us today as we're taping this. But I think let's go basically, I think for for the most part, uh, as we talk about, about, um, about Yukimura's appearance in Toronto, we're probably going to more primarily focus on his Japan Foundation chat, as opposed to the International Festival. Uh, what's the what's the uh, what's it called again? The International Festival of Authors. I keep forgetting the acronym. Yeah, it's Toronto International Festival of Authors. Thank you. Because, but because all four of us went to the Japan Foundation presentation. James and Kevin only went uh, went the next day to the to the festival, uh, which was uh, at Harbor Front. Uh, there so, was crossover yeah. in the themes for sure. So. Yes, there was crossover in what he said. Cool. Let's. Uh, I'm pretty sure we can bring. We'll bring that up in the course of the conversation. But I kind of want to talk about it as we do tonight. Basically, from our perspective, also having been there and probably checked out the venue and maybe the atmosphere and the people who came. So. Mo, we know, uh, Mo, let's start with Mo because he actually got there first, but he didn't actually reserve a spot. He was, he was in standby and truth be told, he was already in the area, right? I think Mo, like, yeah, you, I didn't really know, get a hint that you actually wanted to go until you said, uh, until you mentioned you were going (laughs) to be in the stand in the rush line. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, <laughs> so I've, I've never, uh, I've never read any of this guy's works. I haven't watched the anime. I mean, it's, it's Finland's saga is pretty big, I guess. I don't know. It was Friday night and had other plans, but I figured yeah, I'll hang with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and, then, and it was free too, right? That yeah, was, it was free. 
And I that, thought it would be that, that also helps. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was nice. I had the time as uh, for myself. So Mo was in the rush line. Uh, the other, uh, the three of us, Micah, James and Kevin, we all at least reserved online and somehow we also got picked, uh, selected to be able to get an autograph. So all three of us also got something signed. Uh, by the way, Kevin, thanks for, thanks for um, letting me purchase a, that uh, secondhand copy of Vinland Saga 1 off of you. You're welcome. So that's part of it. We all waited in and the lines were separated based on who who uh, res- reserved online and the, and the last second line, the rush line. I, I gotta say, my line was better than your line. Well, your your line your line had a lot of uh, space. It was so, it was so quiet. Of, it was so spacious. Yeah, so they're all like whereas on, whereas on our side, it was just warm, real, real warm. And I saw Mike yelling at Mo at the other end of the hall. I'm surprised they didn't kick us out of the building or call security down below. Exactly, Mike, bro, come on, man. You know, quiet. <laughs> You're trashing the guy, right? <laughs> Trying to, uh, uh, I thought you know. I thought it was. Just, I was just trying to keep it, you know, keep a friendly atmosphere. I thought it was friendly. Uh, okay, you don't, didn't. Don't, don't get me wrong. It was very friendly. I just feel like. Or was I embarrassing you? No, no. It was just that it was very loud. <laughs> That's all. I didn't think it was that bad. Uh, well, when you when you work where I work, anyway. But but in your defense, once the place fully got you know packed, everyone was pretty loud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yes, the um, fans who signed up by and large showed up. Well, not all of them because uh, Mo did get in after all. He was number, like you were, you were within the front, near the very front of that line. There's two, right? I was number four. And I think there was like seven of us in total. So, you know, not that many rushing, but also there was exactly seven seats available. So it's like, that was, it kind of worked out. Yeah. Pretty good. Pretty good. So, quick background. Uh, I know the I know Kevin and James would give a better background because for me, I'm all pretty much on mo on mo spectrum when it comes to my familiarity with uh, with the Makoto Yukimura. Probably his two pro- probably his two uh, most famous works, Planetess and Vinland Saga, right? And to realize that he had two titles that far apart. Uh, like that became came to the forefront, you know, in different decades, twenty years apart. But Vinland Saga is very much his uh, the one he's known for too much of fandom these days. I, I I think that's safe to say, right? I I'd say so. Like the beginning of the odds and that he did Plantis, and that was a shorter uh, manga, and Tokyo Pop put it out, and it was rescued by Dark Horse, which has it still in print now. And then um, Bandai, uh, God rest their soul, uh, they released the Plantis anime in DVD. And I think they had an Anime Legends release at one point. But that one, unfortunately, is completely out of print, as in it's not even streaming anywhere. The only way you can get it on Blu-ray is Anime Limited's uh, UK release. So maybe one day it'll come uh, back into the fold because it's an interesting uh, sci-fi workplace uh, comedy so to speak for the anime and the anime and manga on plantis is slightly different but similar but it has the same soul and it's like uh 
what are we going to do about the garbage up there in space is uh, one question it poses. But Did it not get a Japanese Blu-ray release? I'm not sure if it has, to be honest, on that one. So that could be a question mark on that one. The only mm. one I know of is the one Anime Limited did, and Justin Savakis and Media OCD, they're the ones that actually did that Blu-ray for them. I so do remember this, yeah. Someone, we're hoping that someone will pick it up, because ironically, when uh, Bandai uh, went belly up, a lot of people rescued their stuff. Uh, Sentai, which only released one of the things they rescued, and oh. then Funimation, which rescued... Um, released pretty much all the big ones that they rescued they got all the big ones and then poor planet has got left as an orphan no one picked it up so i'm not sure if that means its sales were uh, absolute uh, not good because i know they put a lot of love into it for the first uh, three dvds they put stuff where they talked to people from nasa and all this stuff and then it kind of went down from the last uh, three volumes in that which as is a too quick bad. aside i resent Sentai slash ADV for not re-releasing Zegapain because that was one of their license rescues and I sold my Bandai DVDs thinking that they were going to re-release it and they never did and finding Zegapain is almost impossible right now. Somebody got a deal off of you dude. No I sold it for a good profit because those went up by a lot back in the day. But anyway thinking about so as you said Vinland Saga is the one he's known for now but the thing I guess we keep on forgetting is he started, and as he mentioned in both pails, he started that in 2005. So that's almost 20 years. And as he's been going through, he's had different arcs, and it's been like a very long series compared to Plantis. So it's been an interesting journey, uh, him going through that one. And it's a different genre where it's historical fiction. Hmm. And then, as we said, yeah, it. Uh, has gotten the boost because uh, it got an anime, but I think the extra boost he got uh, from that anime is the fact it was on Netflix. So, well, actually, it was on Amazon Prime first, but I think once they got it dubbed and got onto Netflix for season one, and then season two went onto Netflix and onto Crunchyroll, it gave it a bigger boost. I think that's the extra boost they needed. And I think that's where the and it's where the fans like his his now his comparatively uh younger fans have uh have come out of the woodwork right i mean i mean when you get on like any anime on netflix it's almost as mainstream as an anime show gets whether it's whether it's uh, done by netflix themselves in some form or just plain picked up by netflix I, I, yes or no or we, we is it somewhat safe to can i is it somewhat a safe thing to say Theoretically, I guess. I mean, you know, theatrical releases or network streaming TV. You know, if you, if, if ABC was well, well, I guess me. I guess I guess the original Sailor Moon is not mainstream anymore in that sense. I guess, as we said, Adult Swim can still have its moments in that uh, for the U.S. market and stuff like that, and they're still working with big names. I know, like Jinji yep. Ito trying to get uh, Spiral out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, they still get a decent amount of uh, debuts for the English dubs. So this is where we're talking. Anyway, uh, where do we really start with uh, with Yukimura himself when he came out, and 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 the fan, and his fans knew who he was. They recognized him the second he came out. Oh, and, and I guess do we talk about the Japan Foundation venue a, a little bit? Because well, of course they would have to know it's him. Like who else would be coming out? 
granted, if you saw him on the street, not as likely you'd recognize him. I think I think you would be able to. Like he was obviously dressed casual both uh, days and stuff like that. But I think they talked about obviously what he was doing and stuff like that. But it was kind of a, a breath of fresh air. I feel like every guest we hear about, they're like, we went to Niagara Falls and all this other stuff. And I'm like, I always forget, oh, Niagara Falls is a big thing for some of these people. But he's like, I went to the ROM. I went to go and do some more research for the manga on indigenous uh, artifacts and things like that. And look through um, at Harbor Front Center where he was on. Sorry, he got to go around the venue. So he got to see the harbor, the Toronto Islands. And then he supposedly was all over the place. He was signing books uh, at Indigo at Bay and Bluer and stuff like that. And uh, that was probably because Indigo was uh, a sponsor of the um, festival for, that we went to on uh, Saturday. It's funny. He's, yeah. It sounded like and he then, was at Harbor Front or the Bay Bloor area because the Japan Foundation is relatively in that area, right? And you guys said that. And a couple of copies of the Beguiling too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, we saw, like on his Twitter, yeah, he went to the Beguiling and probably signed some there. And so he went to a lot of different places that. I guess you normally don't hear about. So he was really out there exploring the city and doing stuff like that. And then I think you guys said one person that picked up a copy at Bay and Bluer, uh, at Indigo, they might've not realized it. He had signed them and probably brought it to the signing, I guess. And they were in for a surprise. Well, more like I just saw someone posting online that they did buy a copy at Bay and Bluer and they later realized it was signed. Oh boy. And made the, and they made that like triumphant haha kind of response. That's pretty cool. But it doesn't always happen that way. But yeah, it's nice they went around. But the other thing we learned, uh, obviously, from both panels is that he originally uh, wanted to come to Canada. Like he wants to do his research and stuff like that. And I think, as he said, he had a snafu with a mountain in Denmark that should have been there. I think he probably collected, uh, corrected it for the uh, Tokoban or the yeah, book. Yeah, drew a mountain that wasn't there, yeah. So, as he said, it's like he tries to do his research and stuff like that, like with Iceland, with England, oh, it, with Denmark, and he wanted to obviously come to Canada because that's where they're at at the moment. And he probably wanted to come three years ago, but as he said, you know what happened three years ago, so he yeah, a couple things come happened. on over, so he said he was three years late. And so he said this was a perfect uh, opportunity where he could come here to Toronto and then right now he's went to Atlanta, Canada and he went to Prince Edward Island to do even more research and stuff like that and he says better late uh, than never and he said I'm sure I'm going to find out even more mistakes I've made while I've been uh, drawing and writing uh, this arc It's interesting, it's just it just sounds like he's so meticulous with the stuff he did because you could also say that about Planetus too, right? Well, he was a big sci-fi fan. Like you heard on the Friday panel about uh, who he's reading and stuff like that and his love of sci-fi. So you could see that's why he started there and stuff like that. Mm. And so oh. he knew his stuff when he was drawing and writing that. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll come back to Planet Test a bit later because I, I, I just want to pick some people, uh, pick Kevin's brain on this idea. And I guess James, you're anybody else too. James or Mo, if you want to chime in when I give that idea a bit later on. But okay. I guess with him wanting to do the research, that's how we lucked out and the opportunity for him to co- come to Canada because he's now been here and then he was at San Diego Comic-Con uh, in July and that was his first time uh, at an event in North America. So mm-hmm. Can I- he supposedly had fun at that too. Oh, yeah. 
Okay, so let's uh, start to dive into this just a little bit. Uh, first thing, I, I as we start this, uh, first thing that came to mind easily, or looking back, the one one thing that uh, pops out in my head was the title of this of his Japan Foundation discussion, and we and I said and I said this, and Kevin, you were there when when I said it to the person who organized this, the um the co- who coordinated this event. The Pursuit of Purpose, Charting Vinland with Yukimura Makoto. That was the, that was the title of, his, uh, of the Japan Foundation presentation on Friday. The Pursuit of Purpose. And within all that, within the hour plus he spoke, the meaning of the, of the title took on, well, more than a few. He talked about his purpose in depicting... Vinland Saga the way he has, which is to say, very, very violently. He talked about his he talked about the idea of purpose with himself as an artist and with himself as a person and how he's gone about his life to this point. Um, is that a fair is that fair to say? I mean that, that, that I mean that's the probably as uh I wouldn't say Cole's notes, but it's because it's even further, it's even more broader than, than Cole's notes. But I think that's probably just to sum, to really begin to sum up the, uh, the discussion, if I'm to do so in within 60 seconds. It was just really about, you know, his, his impression of, of purpose, his impression of purpose and everything he's, uh, he's, and everything that surrounds him right now. Right. Mm-hmm. It was just, a, I thought, a perfect title, a perfect theme to, uh, to what he talked about at, at Japan Foundation. I think, so, yeah, makes sense given how uh, Thorfinn's sense of purpose uh, changes throughout the course of the manga. I think they talked about that, yeah, like with the relationships between fathers and sons on both pals and the relationship as he said between violence and the search for peace and stuff like that yeah the purpose and of then time. the other factor and he had said this that his favorite arc is the farmland arc and that's because he's saying people can change and he says that was the one he was really worried about when drawing and writing because he's like that's the toughest thing to like engage with readers because he's like, okay, are most of my readers going to leave me at this point? And to make it believable that someone can change. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I was trying to figure out how, how we talk about, how we start to go through the chain of, you know, everything he talked about that, uh, at least on Friday. Um, it's okay if I just, and I, and for what it's worth, I wrote, I wrote like three pages of notes as he was chatting. So, Bro, really? Yeah, I did. Uh, J- James, Kevin, you can uh, you can back me up on this. You saw me writing the entire time. I mean, to, to be fair, oh, I, pretty good seat, so. oh, I I didn't see you write because I was also writing was, notes on my phone. Yeah. So James prob James probably had his eyes forward. Good for you, James. So I so can I go through my notes and then maybe we uh, as we do this, uh, if something comes up, feel free to bring it up. Okay. I'm gonna. You don't mind? Go ahead. Not at okay. All. Okay, so yeah, and and I'm going to read every single thing I wrote verbatim, and then we'll just go through this. Yes, had been looking forward to... Shorten points here and there to make them more succinct, if you'd like. Sure. Has been, had been looking forward to coming to Canada. Um, he's especially enjoyed the weather. Apparently, it's very, it's very warm in, in, 
in Japan right now. Yeah, I guess it is still humid and still summer, like because we saw him on both days. He had some long sleeves and that, like he had a Darth Vader hoodie on. The Friday, oh yeah, that was hilarious. Like that, so. that was hilarious. And and by the way, during the autograph session, he apparently got some gold ink on that too. Here, uh, the Rom visit, he did mention that. Mentions his uh, mentions his life, uh, his daily life as a as an artist, and says doesn't get that much sleep, and he's caught up on a lot of that since coming to Canada. Didn't look like it, or he didn't. Well, maybe he was fr- he looked fresh enough to say, you know, that well, he, out of all of them that came, he was definitely the most energetic, and he was ready to go. I'm guessing he's gonna feel it when he's, he goes home. But as a mangaka, he is, as he said, he's very lucky because he only releases one chapter a month. As he said, yes. I don't know how the guys that do the weeklies do it, but he said, I do get a bit of time to like formulate the story in my head. But he's like, there's like two weeks where he's just trying to plug it out and just try to get it done. And how he said the whip is on him. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, side question. Is this like not planned out? Does he like not have a a roadmap or something? Like, yeah, as he said in both panels, he knows, like, he starts out, he knows where he's going to end. It's just a matter of filling in the gaps and stuff like that and how he wants to get there. And so he's obviously he know, he said he hasn't changed his vision for the end in the end. But how he gets there has changed on a few things like he did talk about the one arc people wanted him, wanted him to do in uh, Byzantium where they go there to get the funds and that to actually go to Vinland. And he said, well, I really wanted to do it. But he said I couldn't do it because he wanted to visit. Greece. He wanted to visit Istanbul. He wanted to probably visit some spots near the Black Sea in Ukraine and that. And because of world events, he said, yeah, it just was not uh, a go for him on that to get that done. Mm. So, yeah, just one of those things. Oh, yeah, likes outdoors on free uh, on his free time. And, he, and yeah, he does, you know, prob- because of the chapter, doing a chapter a month, Probably gets a little, a fair amount of free time. I guess he's a, he can chart his course at this point in his career, which is a, which is kind of like a, which I guess is a holy grail for a lot of artists, right? Well, I think, I was thinking he doesn't probably think that big of himself because there was a question in the Saturday one and it was one of those ones from the audience where it could have went either way. And especially when the guy wanted to ask two questions, but he was comparing him to two big manga artists and stuff like that one of them being uh the creator of berserk and stuff like that and he was just like oh my god these two guys are gods i don't think i can do that and he's like i think about vega it was the vagabond uh creator wasn't it kevin or he's like i'll finish that for him if he can't do it well yeah that was during the tifa panel so he was saying he was commenting on how he was a bit surprised how uh, Takahiko Inoue, creator of Vagabond, Slam Dunk, and Real, uh, still isn't drawing it at the moment. And then, yes, he jokingly was saying that, uh, yes, I'll finish it. But he, like, he figures those two are, like, obviously he looks up to them. And he joked about how, uh, well, not joke, but he was serious about in regards to Berserk, where he was planning and they were coordinating to meet with uh, Minura and stuff like that creator of berserk but he said unfortunately he passed before that could happen and yeah i'm sure he had regrets about that but he said he looked up to those two and he and i he keeps himself very grounded it sounds like we saw a very jovial fellow and stuff like that but very grounded even as an artist but i think 
there is that sense, wow, these people have come, like people even on the Saturday thing, they said, no, you're loved. And people telling him about how they, he's inspired them and stuff like that from questions from the audience and to some of the people we saw that were getting signings on both days. So it, it was interesting and stuff like that. And he still keeps himself very grounded, stuff like that. Well, it was kind of cool. I mean, now that I hear this part that a lot of people, uh, a lot of his uh, fans uh, that on Saturday kind of compared him to Inui and Miura. I thought, okay, pretty cool. I have one more uh, comparison to make, but I'll make that towards the end as well. So, okay. Violence. On Vinland, on Vinland Saga and violence. No internal balance. Just draws what he can. But he asked himself 20 years ago, as he began, uh, as he began Vinland Saga, he asked himself, does humanity need violence? Is it necessary for humanity to continue despite our overall dislike for it? So the way he put it, I think, at least as I wrote it, saw all the violence in his heart and brought it out on the page. And having said all of that, he's still looking for the answer to that question. I, I will say that when he said that, I was like, Dude, what, what was your life like growing up to have that much violence in you, you know? Yeah, because it sounded like he's had a pretty ordinary life. It was funny because he described himself as not a great student. Was he in high school. Yeah. And, and, and on the topic of purpose, on the topic of purpose, this is, he just saw himself as becoming a manga artist because he just couldn't see himself in a more conventional line of work. And that was at 16, as he said. Sorry? That was at 16, as he said. Mm -hmm. And And then he talked about his father and how he said, wow, my father must have been such a great guy. He said, he's going to allow me to do this and give me the rope to do this. And his mother probably wasn't very happy about it. And probably, as he joked, given up on him. He's like, or maybe, as he said, my dad has just given up and said, well, there he goes. Let's see what he does. Mm-hmm. But uh, especially in uh, Japan with uh, their culture and stuff like that. And, and the because it's that... a very tumultuous uh, occupation to be a manga artist, as we know. Mm-hmm. But he's and made so, himself, you know, carved out something. And then I guess he said it comes to him too, because as he said, he has three sons. And so he kind of is now imagining it through the eyes of a father and stuff like that for what his father did as well. And that's why he came, he really came out and talked about how much he respected his father now. Right. Correct. That, yeah. That's like, because now he knows now he has an appreciation for what his dad might've been thinking when he was 16. Cause maybe he's about to go through it himself. And I thought that was, you know, I, that was, that, that, that was a really a telling comment. Right. Okay, let me go through the notes a further. All, pro- all protagonists are strong, but can you be nonviolent and weak to be the main character? I, but- I, I did like him bringing up superheroes and laser beams. Uh, that was fun. Yeah, start to have doubts. Move the story from a center, uh, central pillar of strength made a character who was very ordinary and just works and is kind. No real attachment to power. You can do all these these superhero things, but if you're not nice, what's the point? And that's what he said about his main character. In, yeah, uh, because in- the powers 
are neutral and stuff like that. It's what's inside the person, right? And mm-hmm. as he said in both panels, he says, I'm just a normal guy. I'm a weak guy and stuff like that. And it's like this search for peace and stuff like that. And do we need violence? And so it kind of worked his way towards Vikings and stuff like that to bring out uh, the sense uh, pursuit of purpose almost uh, as the title of the uh, panel on Friday said. Yeah. Oh, okay. Talked about his other main character on Canute. Tries to make a world of nonviolence through violence, but doesn't really know how such a world would work. And I think one thing he kept bringing up is vegetables. You know, you're, you don't like them, but you know they're good for you. He used that metaphor on more than one occasion. That one stuck to me. Yeah, it's like you see it in Vinland Saga. Like, there's sometimes you have to bring down the hammer to move forward and stuff like that. Nonviolence may not always be the means. And definitely uh, the main character of Orphan is now going through that now in the last few arcs. And then, as he said, they he wanted to show all that violence in the first arc and stuff like that to then get to that second arc where we explore this thing of nonviolence and of forth and changing from this young, destructive, violent young man trying to get vengeance because he saw his father killed in front of him to him having nothing because he lost his sense for vengeance because uh, the person he had to get revenge against passed on and stuff like that. And so now he has to find this new purpose and then how he finds it and stuff like that and how he changes, which is, a very tough thing to, I think, probably create uh, through words or through art and stuff like that. And he managed to do that and to uh, inspire people to keep on reading it, which he said was his biggest concern. Well, it's a relatable idea too sometimes, right? You try and work a very long time, maybe even the bulk of your life towards one goal and either you accomplish it or it slips uh, out of your reach forever. And then what's next? Right? I mean, I, I, that, that whole idea is relatable uh, in, in that sense, right? And then so. for Canute, I know, like, for that character, remember, it's kind of based off an actual historical figure who did go to England and basically conquered it and stuff like that. But um, in regards to Canute, like, he is, as he said, yeah, he's doing it through violence and even through uh, violence against his own family and stuff like that. So it's interesting on him where he says, I'm taking care of all these Vikings that are violent, stuff like that, so that they can like move on and find purpose in this world and show them the light and stuff like that, which kind of did happen in real history where a lot of them, they took over spots of Europe, but they then didn't say, okay, now you're going to we're running things the way we normally do it. They actually converted to Christianity and stuff like that and got in touch with the local culture and stuff like that. And that's kind of what he's doing and stuff like that in a way. Mm-hmm. So it's a very different uh, method to uh, forth and where he's trying to do it, where he's just doing it on his own and saying, we can do this through peace and we can do it through negotiation, trying his best not to raise his fist or to uh, use violence after uh he had lost his purpose and stuff like that. And it's a tough thing. And so he actually does cr- convert to Christianity as well, but takes a different uh, look at it throughout uh, the saga. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I, I, which leads me to like what he said, his last line about those two. 
two characters living two different paths. And to this point, he doesn't know which one is the right one. I don't think anyone will ever will. But he just said he had to draw, you know, contrasting ways of going about life. And there was this, and then I think the uh, presenter who I know is a, is a professor at U of T prof and uh, works at the ROM as well. I think it was Max uh, Dionisio, I believe. I believe that was the name. Yes. Correct. As for his characters being tragic characters, he doesn't know. He sees himself as an observer or camera operator. He just draws what, uh, what the camera in his head sees, not what he wants to see. I guess uh, you, you, you mentioned James. Uh, he does know how he wants Vinland Saga to end. He just doesn't know the path he'll take to get there. And I think that's what this, this line says as well. He just, he just, uh, he, it just comes into his head. Makes sense. Sounds, and we right? had talked about that before. I remember when I was talking what we heard when we went to TCAF by another manga artist. I think a lot of them have that vision at the end and it's as they all seem to have say it's the journey to get there changes and stuff like that but a lot of them stick to their core ending or their core value and stuff like that very rarely do any of them monkey around with that final point they want to get to it's just how they get there june mayuzuki said the same thing at tcap this year it's a consistent line at least from i've heard more than a few different Japanese creators have said this. And it's not just in the manga side. It says it's sometimes on the music side. It's a common line Yoko Kano makes as well. When she talks about her composing her music, she just says it pops in her head. There's no you know process. If you think about it one way, a lot of series get canceled after a 23 to... 30 chapters or whatever. So you usually do want to have an ending in mind in case you get axed. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then you can rush, you can rush towards that, I guess. Yeah. Right. Okay. We talked about the research. We talked about how meticulous he, he's been known to be in his research. So he went to, went at length about, uh, about his depiction of, of first nation peoples especially um, more, most notably the Mi'kmaq tribes. And he didn't have much to work on. The best he could do was just find the odd, uh, some online resources. This is where he kind of like pumped up Kodansha because they said they facilitated and helped him a lot with the research he needed to do. Kodansha openly gets a lot, got a lot of love throughout this presentation. And I know we've been ragging on them earlier this year, but I just thought, it, to be fair, the... Maybe sometimes they do do some right. At least Yukimura has mentioned uh, or shown some love to to his publisher. I, I think guess, yeah. a lot yeah. of the big publishers usually will help out and stuff like that. Obviously, they're big names, and a lot of their ones, if they need to do the research, they'll try to help them as much as they can. And if they can give them more time, they will give them more time to do the research trips or to find the right online resources or connect with the right people, which we know. And then the other thing is with the Japanese publishers also now owning a lot of the overseas stuff or having those connections to overseas manga publishers, they can connect with them to then connect with the original creators. It's not as uh, disconnected probably as it used to be many, many decades ago. Kind of the further consolidation of the fan of the, the industry, right? 
for better or worse. And we're going to talk about that later. Because he talked about Kodansha USA, of course, as well. And that can help him uh, in the research on the uh, Canada side. And as we said, uh, he's going to Atlantic Canada and to Prince Edward Island, where this current arc is happening. And obviously the Mi'kmaq were in that area and stuff like that. And as he said, he definitely tried his best to make sure he uh, got it right. And sometimes mm -hmm. you never know, you can still get things wrong, but he still worked with two people. I know he said from the Mi'kmaq to get things going, even though he said on the names front, he had them name a lot of uh, the native uh, Mi'kmaq tribe members, uh, like the shaman and the one girl that is kind of the liaison between the Vikings and them, like the people forth and brought over. And it's interesting, as he said, they all give him a name and he's like, how am I going to fit that in a word bubble? But he still figures these things out. Mm -hmm. yep. And he says he wants to be as authentic as possible, despite his limitations. That was a bit of an amusing comment. I don't know. It was a, it was a funny comment, I thought, right? But uh, he came across as very respectful about the Micmac. And, and then and even reading it, like, see, that's the toughest part is we know a lot of things on our end. And so when you're reading it, you have our lens on it. And I've had my lens on it. And I think he did a good job and stuff like that. But there's still things we know from historical context that he has in there. And I think he's still being respectful with that historical context because you do see things where they're trading between them and stuff like that. And alcohol is mentioned, but we know that has been a problem historically and stuff like that. And then even recently they talk about disease and bringing disease from Europe. And that was a historical problem and stuff like that. But everything he's done, I think he's done respectfully and he's portrayed both sides very uh, well and stuff like that. And I think people could respect it, how he portrayed it through his fictional uh, work. Mm-hmm. I will say now the next note I have here is about about when he would go to the East Coast. You you already kind of hit on this, right? He expects to find find uh, his inaccuracies, but he does as much as he looked forward to to it. He does expect to see see uh, whatever he got wrong so far. Once again, kind of striving towards being as authentic and meticulous as possible in his depictions, right? So he knows he's been on the wrong side of a few of those. And most, expects uh, yeah, most of them, I think, for manga careers, they try their best and they still have their little flubs here and there and you hear about them, but they still work through and stuff like that. And uh, it's interesting to see how it goes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, the rest of my notes we sort of hit on already. Uh, the whole, when he came to the conclusion he wanted to be a, a, a manga artist, a whole bit with uh, his parents. Even on the Saturday, like the other one, talking about purpose and stuff like that. And there was kind of the lens of you had uh, Thorfinn and Askeladd. And basically Thorfinn for Askeladd, he never got to reach either forgiveness or revenge because Askeladd had passed away. But then later on, they have a character named Hildy, who she um, is still there in the uh, saga, still with us now. But in the recent uh, book and stuff like that she was able to find that forgiveness and it was interesting him saying how to find that forgiveness and stuff like that kind of like finding that purpose was an interesting journey and stuff like that like a different parallel to what we saw earlier in Vinland Saga and stuff like that where you couldn't find that forgiveness because hmm. basically Forfin had killed her father and her family when 
he was probably rampaging in the first part of Inland Saga with the other Vikings when they were in Britain and uh, other places in Scandinavia. Yeah, see, I don't know what else to add because by my own admission, I haven't started reading Vinland Saga yet and any memories I have of Planetus are are blurry. But uh, yeah, I, I can't say I, like, it just sounds all valid, right? The way you put it. Okay, so I am um, the last of my notes before the Q&A, the last part was any recent inspirations. And he mentioned he's been a fan of Andy Weir. I don't know. I don't recognize the name, but Mo, you do. Uh, yeah, he's the guy who did uh, The Martian. You know, the, the, I was surprised he didn't uh, mention the movie at all or, or Matt Damon. I, I feel like <laughs> the, when we had the Q&A, the questions were, um, you know, not, not as personable as I thought they'd be. It's more focused on his work, but I guess that, that's the way it goes. It's, yeah, it's really, a mixed bag, right? You never you know, know sometimes. No, there was one person. He asked if... If uh, if his English was good, I knew you in Japanese. And like we had, we were just looking at that and we we're like, wow, that uh, and that was something. But you know what? He still managed to uh, work question. through it and stuff like that. But it was definitely one that you're like, oh man. No, it was clear that that fan just wanted an opportunity to speak with Makoto Yukimura in Japanese, and then didn't think that far ahead on. How else to follow up that initial question? Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's just maybe that might have been the most cringeworthy question, I, I admit. But he still yes, he it, it was, every question it was a very cringe so question. And it's just the fact, you know, if he didn't come out as all awkwardy and cringy, then it wouldn't have been as bad. But, but yes, I. I was just dying of cringe in my seat. What can I say? <laughs> okay, let's go back to Andy Weir, though. Because I can't say I, I recognize him. I feel that kind of goes back to Planetus and stuff like that, because he definitely loves a lot of sci-fi and stuff like that. And as he talks about the NASA spirit as well, right? So you could tell he was primed to start with something sci-fi and stuff like that in Planetus. That had some real-world grounding. Yeah. It did, uh, yeah, and I guess and 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 we worked uh, at NASA too, right? Correct. So, yeah, that was I. I just thought an interesting point, and I guess to hear that and knowing you know Planetus in the background, and to know that he he he's become a fan of it, or he was a Weir fan. I you know it doesn't take a genius to know to know maybe that makes a lot of sense, right? But uh, now, now maybe uh, maybe he's had a few of uh, a few of his own fans now curious about about Andy Weir too, if they weren't already. So that and that pretty much was uh, at least the regular portion of the of the uh, discussion. And then there's uh, there was the Q and A, uh, and that was a funny moment when they said, "Okay, so we'll only we can only um, do it inside uh, at this microphone, and you wouldn't believe." The, the very quick rush in a very cramped room, by the way. That room was cramped and pretty packed. Well, it was interesting because that contrast mic. that, Mike, on the Saturday, it was a nice-sized auditorium. It wasn't, it probably might have been more a little more people, obviously, than we had at the Japan Foundation, but it wasn't completely full. And for that Q&A, they actually did have a Q&A there. That one, instead of going and rushing to a microphone, 
basically they had a nice lady uh, with a microphone and they basically said, we're going to ask you to put kind of like for questions and then to please ju- put your hands up or whatever. And the hands just kind of shot up along Same with Kevin, except Kevin uh, didn't have the uh, luck of uh, getting them mm-hmm. to run over to him. So they were running all over. They even went to the back. See, I get to climb the stairs. About the only thing that sounded the same was a lot of people want to ask questions. Yep. Okay, so any 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 questions in the Q and A that caught your attention? English aside. <laughs> well, the one we told you about on Saturday, they, that could have been the one that was parallel to there, but luckily the question was salvaged by the answers and stuff like that and how it was handled. But you never know in a Q&A, right? It's, but mm-hmm. all of them were relatively good talking about his process or talking about themes in Vinland Saga. There was a lot of that. Plantis wasn't mentioned in either Q&A, of course. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the question that James is bringing up is what we've discussed earlier, but essentially the way that fan phrased it was basically saying, how does it feel like to be in the top three of, of current seinen manga alongside uh, Berserk and Vagabond? And then it took a little while to communicate to uh, Yukimura that uh, that basically he was held, at least in current fans' minds, or at least on the internet, he's held in the same esteem as Kentaro Miura and Takahiko Inoue. And and he and you already kind of hinted his reaction, right? Yeah, a, a big eh. <laughs> yeah, there was a big reaction, and then after the we finally like point. after he fi- like we finally like were telling him like oh yeah, because I because uh, Miles and Jocelyn didn't know right away uh, who we were who the who the fan was referring to. Then we had to tell them, and then they told Yukimura. Then he went what? <laughs> so he, yeah, he's take uh, pretty humble about that. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure he doesn't consider himself in their league. Not so. at all. He doesn't no, think so said, at all. Yeah, very with that reaction, which so. is you know, which is which is amusing, like in a good way. Was it the same uh, translator, by the way? Yeah, it was both Jocelyn days? both days. Jocelyn, yeah, and yeah, I, I for both panels. Uh, quick aside off for her. Quick aside on her. I was you saw you saw what she her pad right. You saw the pad she was writing on. She yes. was using an e ink pad. I had to compliment her on that when I went up for the autograph. Because, uh, because um, uh, there's a, like you know you know me and uh, my fascination with ebook uh, with ebook readers, right? Mm-hmm. So they've been and e ink has kind of, you know, they've been moving more and more towards written ver- uh, like pad and ones you can write in. And she had one, and she mentioned a uh, it was a godsend for her. She she loves she loves hers, she loves her write uh, her um e ink write pad writing pad, and she was using it pretty extensively. At least on Friday. I'm pretty sure the same thing on Saturday. Yeah, no, the same on Saturday. They were in uh, comfier chairs on Saturday. Like some nice, <laughs> uh, it was like those couch type uh, chairs and stuff like that with the leather and that. But anyway, they uh, she's done so many different events, as they said. So she's definitely uh, a highly sought professional uh, for translating manga and all this other stuff and different events. And she's given her time to the Japan Foundation and. I think the only thing she didn't do was Saturday signing. They let her take a break and someone else uh, pitch it for her on that one. The signings on Saturday. Yes or no? Did she, has she done key? Has she done TCAF? No, she's 
pretty much embedded in TCAF, I think, at this point. As Miles said, they've been doing it for so long. She's helped them along the way and stuff like that. I think that's why this year they gave her a break. Mm -hmm. And so this year she's like, oh, this is really nice. I can just come to TCAF and enjoy the event, which is what she did. Is that was at the Glacier Bay um, table where she just happened to pop by and was just saying hello to them because she had done translation work for them. Oh, that's cool. But okay. she is local. She is uh, in Toronto, and then she goes between here and Japan and in between, as they say. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anything stick out in the Q&A? Um, first encounter with Vikings. A Swedish author had some novels adapted into anime. That was probably a lot of Japanese first encounters with the idea of Vikings. I forgot the, uh, I forgot the author's name. I forgot the anime. If you remember, that, like games. a lot of, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I feel like that's, was it NHK or whatever? Remember, they took a lot of classic European children's tales and things like that and then animated them, right? Into mm -hmm. anime during the 80s and things like that. And I think that might have been one of those ones. So it probably was broadly shown across Japan. So that definitely makes sense. Okay. And obviously, it wasn't the type of Vikings we saw in Vinland Saga, which was a more accurate uh, portrayal and stuff like that, with uh, the violence and trying to reach Valhalla and stuff like that. Yeah, a fairly brutal, a brutal depiction, of course. Mentioned his favorite story arc so far, right? Is yep, it, it... Farmland. He, loved, he definitely always says Farmland, and that was as he said, probably one of his more challenging ones, but it also was kind of that pursuit of purpose again, right? Because that was him finding purpose and trying to see engaging with the readers and readers spoke back and they seemed to enjoy what he uh, put on the page and stuff like that because not many people would have the guts to throw that forward because that could get some people canceled, right? Mm -hmm. Refer to it as hard but rewarding. And likes the idea of seeing people change and grow. So. And you don't see that much in uh, a lot of mediums, but he was able to put it, as he said, in a realistic way. And as he said, since this is one of his longest series and a longer series in general, he's able to put that pen to paper and those, like um, the pictures on the page to make that, uh, journey possible he doesn't have to take the shortcuts right so he can take his time and the audience and the publisher allowed him to get that done and it is interesting thinking back to saturday he talked about um and i could definitely see that in that arc too as he said obviously the first thing you see with a person is their face and the expression in their eyes and stuff like that and people use that but he said the other thing the second thing people usually see is the hands and so he said he always tries to make sure, because he said a lot of artists, you can tell how good they are when they depict the hands and stuff like that, because you can show the change in emotion through their hands and stuff like that as well, which was interesting. Uh, no, I have nothing to add. As I said, uh, maybe I have to start reading it too. I, I at least have volume one. Talk a little bit about what, about, I, I refer to it as writer's block moments. Talked about, okay, you, you can't come up with an idea, and how do you deal with that? You get up, you try and draw, but nothing comes to mind. How do you deal with it? And he just talked about, he just powers through, just forces himself to draw. Which is kind of like a, not an answer, right? <laughs> I mean, Either that or, as he said, he says, gone fishing. Yeah, he just goes fishing. Maybe oh, I guess you surely just... do, right? Like, yeah. gotta get done eventually, in theory. Yeah. That's why he said he, he has that 
time to like think of the story and all that stuff for the monthly and then it's like the crunch time and stuff like that but as he said he doesn't know how he would do it if he was like a weekly author it's like, yeah I, I guess that's what or something it is. like oda and uh, one piece right yeah i think what was the phrase he used about his uh, editor he spends 50 percent between family and an editor over his shoulder with a whip i think that's how he refers to it in, in essence yeah he always jokes about that so so maybe maybe the depictions we see of editors in in anime and manga are fairly accurate. Well, based on our TCAF one, sometimes it, it goes both ways, but usually they're very uh, work closely together, and they're uh, colleagues that can uh, push and pull each other to help each other out. So I'm sure mm -hmm. that's more of what it is. But he said, yeah, when you're in the thick of it, it's like you're both trying to grind it out. Okay, so just going through the rest of the Q&As here, the English question came up next. Uh, yeah. Themes of masculinity through Vikings doesn't think of himself as a manly man and really doesn't like violence, feels he's criticized, and in many respects he feels like he's criticizing that type of masculinity because he finds it scary. Toxic masculinity, that's a phrase that's come out in the last couple of years, right? Sounds like sounds like he feels that way. Sounds like he feels you know it's problematic. If you let it can get problematic at at the very least. I, I, it sounds like there's a commentary about that. Uh, coming back to you know just the two main characters and his thoughts on violence altogether in Vinland Saga. I, I, maybe I, we shouldn't be surprised that he came out and put it in those terms. Right. Okay. Keep going on. Let's keep going. As I said, feel free to jump in. Okay. Um, music. He says he says he listens to like likes to listen to a lot of Annie songs himself. Uh, but appreciates the as for the music uh, of the anime, he does listen to the Vinland Saga soundtracks. Really I wish he brought up more examples, huh? I wish he brought up more examples of who. Oh, in terms of the Annie song side? Yeah. Yeah. But I know he definitely liked the opening and endings, and you could definitely see that on both season one and season two. Like, they had really good openings and endings. Yeah, and but that's, also, like, four each, so. Yeah, and, he really and he complimented the director of that, too, because he just thought... Yeah, it kind of really... meshed all together with he, the vision, just, the story, and everything came together, right? So. Yeah, and he just he said, I think he said, the, in the note I wrote was, he appreciated the fussiness of the director in that respect. And one of the bands came this year. Mm -hmm. This five said the prophet. Yeah. Nice, he nice said open. that was the first time they played it live, right? That specific song for villain saga. Yeah. Cause it, it was basically had just, it basically had just come out the month before in Japan. Oh, yeah, That's right. You brought that up uh, some months back. Yeah. Yeah. No, not bad. Okay, yeah, come back. Comes back to Andy. His like of Andy Weir. Three body problems. That's his. Is that his? Uh, one of his books. I have that note. Down. I have that title down. No, that's a that's a different uh, author different and author? stuff like that. Yeah, it was a Chinese author, I believe. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, three body problem. Yeah, that's right. He uh, was asked about other books he likes to read and mentioned a, chi uh, a Chinese author, and that's that's it here. That unfortunately took up a lot of the Q and A as well because. He he clearly didn't have one in mind, so it, he kind of struggled to think of one off the top mm -hmm. of his head. But mentioned his like for science fiction, right? He 
he mentioned a, an admiration for the idea of science fiction because he th- sees science fiction as something you can experiment with. You can you can experiment with these things, you, you know, because the frankly speaking, the, these aren't reality. So this just allows for a little bit more, a little bit more experimentation. And yeah, perhaps it's also like he says you can just experiment. I guess my own compliment about science fiction is that sometimes it sets a target, right? That somewhere along the line, what you see depicted in science fiction can become science fact. But I think some of it for his, when he did Plantis, there was a lot of groundedness in that because as he said, he was, it was the same thing as Vinland saw. It was more grounded. He was talking about, okay, we have people up in space. We have people on the moon and stuff like that, but we have all this garbage up there in space because we just kept on leaving stuff up there. So we need, what are we going to do? We need people to collect all that as well people collecting that trash that we've uh, left from old spaceships and stuff like that, just flowing around in space that if we accidentally hit it or it accidentally hits us, then guess what? It could go kablooey, whoever's in that spaceship, right? So it could cause a serious problem. Yeah, I think, so... I think they uh, solved this problem in Futurama. <laughs> well, I remember or, that episode, well. Or at least thinking about it now, there's going to be a lot of SpaceX satellites too, or... um. Uh, well, link, uh, link satellites to have to deal with. One interesting point that uh, Yukimura brought up to me when I got Planetus signed on Friday was that uh, when I mentioned how one of my favorite chapters was when Fee was desperately trying to find a place to smoke, but always getting screwed over in the process because all the smoking rooms are getting bombed by the... Uh, the the terrorist group he was saying how yeah we're it's funny how nowadays we're seeing this happen right now where there are fewer and fewer places to smoke <laughs> yeah no they they definitely that. started that in japan and a few other places yeah obviously for us he probably wouldn't be able to find any places because we started that long long before <laughs> but thinking about it there's another one from Saturday and it talks about his humbleness. We had talked about all the people he praised the people he praised on Saturday as well, that he didn't talk about before on the Friday. And it had come up with miles in uh, that was the Mario for that one was about him drawing horses and then his backgrounds and stuff like that. And so he joked about that. He's like, well, I just give that to my assistants and my assistants are just so amazing. They can make, these horses, some of the animals, but he said, when they do the backgrounds, I just give them a vague idea and they just give me this amazing thing that I can work from. So he says, without my assistance, it's like incredible that they can help me uh, bring my vision to light and stuff like that. And as well, he he mentioned his humbleness where he said, if you want to see my mistakes, you can read the monthly chapters. And he said, by the time I get to the Tokoban, I usually manage to correct them. And he said, usually it's, I forget about scars that should be on Forthin's face or body that I should have drawn in the monthly. And then I correct in the Tokoban, as he said. (laughs) Kind of like, kind of like the broadcast and the D and then the home video version, right? Yeah. So let's see, Put, put down this note. Violence is fine. Who cares how many die? But as long as humanity survives, that's fine. Uh, so these type of works make him think. Because that's, that's, that's what he said. 
And my last note here said, in creative process, thinks of end goal, then goes back to a point where he can advance again. So I think this is this is what you were getting at, right, James? Thinks of the end goal, but then he has to backtrack about how he's going to get there. About Yeah, and that's why, as he said, he always talked about his different arcs, right? So yeah. he's like, okay, this is my point. I'm going to re maybe rethink and then starts going again and again. So he had these ones where it's like, you have Iceland and England where he finally uh, accidentally goes on the boat with his dad, even though they said, don't get on the boat. His dad uh, was murdered in front of his eyes. And then he has all this violence and rage and he's trying to get vengeance. And then at the end of that arc, his reason for vengeance is no longer there. And then he's turned into a slave sent to Denmark, the next arc, basically him trying to find purpose again stuff like that and that journey is quite incredible and then after that the coming home and then the trying to uh, get ready to go to vinland and then now we're in vinland or we're in canada and stuff like that and we'll see where they go from there Mm -hmm. i think i'll start reading because they could have he could have just probably said oh we've reached canada we're done but no he's still going on and stuff like that so there's more to tell which is great yeah. And maybe the ending, the way I'm reading it now, it it's not gonna be all like happy happiness and roses and kisses and all that stuff. It it's it's probably gonna be more grounded and stuff like that. And it's something Forthin is gonna have to it's like, well, I just am gonna have to deal with it. It's like it's you sometimes you can't win or you can't always succeed even if you try your hardest and stuff like that and how you're going to deal with it. And I feel that's how Forthin is going to end up the way I've been reading it. You think, uh, you think he's going to leave Vinland? Well, I, I don't want to say, but uh, it, it could happen and depends on how it's happening right now, but it, it looks like it, but you never know things could, he could change it up and stuff like that. Because as he said, he thinks about it. And then something could change. Maybe when he goes to Prince Edward Island, he gets inspiration, stuff like that. And that changes how he wants to reach the end goal again, right? I do like how he's still, it's still in progress, you know? Like, he's still releasing month to month, which is pretty cool. I can't remember if he has to, like, I would think he's off at least this month or whatever, because he's technically come here. He's come and doing the research. So hopefully Kodach is like, okay, we're just giving him a break. He's just going on a research trip and then I'll be back next month. Maybe something's already ready anyway. You okay. mean he started at the beginning of the month instead of the end of the month? Uh, perhaps. But I guess... The last thing we had talked about, the one interesting takeaway as well from the autograph line on both days, and this is the interesting part. Obviously, we um, it was free to get the autographs. You obviously had to uh, put in that you wanted to get an autograph, so you had to register. But the thing that none of us knew was going to happen on both days is not only did you have a little chat with him, you got the autograph and stuff like that, but he also took a picture <laughs> with everyone and stuff like that while they after they took the um, autograph and stuff like that which is very rare like i can count on one hand how many creators anime manga or otherwise are saying hey why don't we have a picture together after we did this autograph and all of that was at no cost he just wanted to engage with all of us and feel the love and he obviously he took a group photo at the end of the friday panel and stuff like that and was really into it as well yeah he was 
Yeah, he was just cool to talk to. I think everybody had like a minute or two to chat with him as he was signing. And I so, think about that too, because I talked to Kevin too about on the English side for anime and stuff like that, some of the dub actors, and even obviously on the North American side for just voice actors, whether it's games, cartoons, or even older actors and stuff like that from hit series and stuff like that. You think of how many times, okay, you got to pay this much for the autograph. You got to pay this much for a photo with them. You got to pay for this much if you want to have um, a voice recording on for your answering machine from them and stuff like that. And you understand why some of them do that. They're trying to make uh, some money on the side because they can't make as much uh, on the main gig, right? So when you get for free and you get all this love, it's like, wow, this is pretty incredible. So there was a lot of people, as he said, that brought him over here and he gave a lot of love back. He didn't have to take pictures with us and stuff like that and spend all that time. So it was really incredible because you rarely get that kind of access sometimes. Yeah. So what were the words you exchanged? Uh, Kevin, you already hinted it, right? You already hinted the words you exchanged with him. Right. Yeah, that was one of them. And then on Saturday, I actually uh, mentioned to him how uh, after the Japan Foundation event on Friday night, I went with two of my friends to go see Nicole Byer at uh, the Meridian Hall or the Sony Center. Or did, the you, did you Center. get there in time for that? Yeah, I did. She The show didn't start till 9.40, but then... That, but the Nicole yeah. herself didn't come out till uh, ten. ten because how's the, the how's opener, the uh, how's the opener? Opener was pretty good. Uh, he was a uh, he's a half black, half Indian gay man from Brampton. He's a he's a pretty famous writer. He's like award winning and stuff. He's on yeah. Power House twenty two minutes from time to time. Pretty popular Canadian comedian. He's good. Oh, I think it's was it Brandon Muhammad was his name? I don't remember exactly. Like his name was, I think his name was Brandon. Mm-hmm. For his first name. But. Uh, so actually, so after the show, I mentioned how, yeah, I went to go see him and then they, they had watched some of Vinland Saga, but then they needed to take a bit of a break because of the violence. Like they, you know, not that they didn't like it, but they just felt like it was a bit excessive at the time for them so then they took a break but then i mentioned how oh like it gets a lot less violent later and they're like okay and then they are thinking of uh, resuming it sooner rather than later so i yeah and so then uh, i brought this so i brought that up to him on the saturday and then he thanked me for not losing any more fans (laughs) (laughs) james no i think on Saturday, I just said, I hope he enjoyed his time here, and I hope he uh, gets a lot out of going to uh, Atlanta, Canada, and that's beautiful out there, and he enjoyed that. And then on the Friday, I just asked him, and I said that I was really impressed that he had two different uh, genres, and he was able to make them uh, a success in regards to Plantis being short and about sci-fi and using his interest and then switching over to historical fiction and just making it a long-running series and stuff like that and to keep it going since it's been almost 20 years. And he said, yeah, it's tough, but uh, I, just, you know what I mean? He keeps chugging along and stuff like that. And it's all thanks to the people that help him out and obviously the fans as well. So, 
Two things. Uh, well, to your point, I, I, I just told him to look forward to the seafood out, out east. But I also uh, brought up one other thing. And, and to your, it's, this is to your point, what you just brought up. I just said, I found it. I just told him how impressed I was that he could make two different titles that have found like multi-generational audiences. Like in Planetus, it's a very, it, 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 much of its audience is an older audience. Like I, I, and, and in, in that first, in our lineup, and just for reference, there were three sets of, there were three batches of people who got to do autographs at a Japan foundation. They divided all of us up into three different groups. In my lineup, there was a gentleman who was clearly in his fifties. And he said to me that his son got him into, into Planetus. Nice. So I thought that was really, really cool. So I thought I found it really interesting that he was able to, in like over 20 years, in two very different generations of fandom, he was able to find audiences from two different, very different uh, generations of anime fandom. Because obviously his, uh, his Vinland Saga is the more mainstream of the title. It has the broader audience. It has an, a, a decidedly younger demographic right now but planetus has planetus has a has had a it has been on the around longer and i mentioned to him i watched i did and i did i did watch the odd episode much of it's blurry more than 20 years later but the fact that he could the fact that he could um the fact that he could uh, find a find an audience with two very different titles with two very different generations of fandom in two different times, it says a lot about you know how, how about his commitment. Remember, I remember, and you guys uh, used the parallel with uh, Miura and Inui. The parallel I use is Rumiko Takahashi, uh, because we've talked about this before that she's been able to make a couple titles that have appealed to different generations of fandom as well, and. And I'm looking at uh, Yukimura in a similar light, not the exact same way, obviously, but a similar light now that he's accomplished something very similar. How many, how many manga artists can say they were able to come up with titles that appealed to do to different in different times, in different decades? And like how many, I, I, the only other person I could probably think of is, to any degree, is the guy behind Love Hina. Kawamori. Kawamori? Sure. But, like, you can't... I'm, I'm sometimes hard-pressed to think that. Certainly not right now. Uh, Mari Yamazaki. Uh, I'm sure. Although I'm it's, sure. It's technically in one manga, not two, but I digress. Mm-hmm. Something yeah, no, there's, definitely, there's definitely some people in Jump and stuff like that that probably have done the same thing. Sometimes with the exact same series, you can think of Oda and One Piece crossing many decades with just One Piece alone in the but many that's just, that's fans, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, but like with separate titles and very different titles, let's say. So I thought, and I just thought, I, I just wanted to let him know that and he appreciated it and clearly appreciated the, uh, those, uh, the compliment. Yes or no? Um, Give me a thought, and this comes back to Planetus, because as I said, my memory of it is blurry. One of the, uh, I'm going to go back, and I'm really reaching here, but I just want to hear your thought on this one before we go. 
A popular sitcom in the 70s was Barney Miller. I don't know if any of you guys have ever heard of it. It was just it was just a, a sitcom set in a police precinct. And many people praised it, especially police officers, because they said it depicted police life probably the most accurate. And it was a sitcom because he, they many of them said the daily grind of uh, being a police officer, it had some very subtle, very mundane moments. The Like the daily life of a police officer isn't constant shootouts or going or you know action 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 it was actually a uh, the day-to-day life of police officers were fairly ordinary is this am i thinking the same thing with planetess like like it, it was just it had found humor in some of the most mundane things that could happen in space i would say that sounds about right because it was sci-fi but in a slice of life uh, sort of way and about a profession that doesn't exist yet but likely will kevin i know you probably because i know you're more familiar with the with the, with planetess sorry what was the question like barney uh, like the barney miller was like a very was very popular because because it depicted the very very ordinary, mundane, day-to-day life of a police officer. Can you say that about Planetess? Like that part of it, a lot of its appeal is based on, well, it's not, it doesn't, it sort of depicts a very, as James just said, slice of life type of day, day-to-day for people in space. It doesn't, well, it doesn't depict like life-threatening situations, just uh, on the, by, by and large, it's just depicted pretty ordinary days in space. Well, the beginning of Planetus is like that. Uh, I think they, I think some weirder, con, weirder political stuff happens later on, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, but, it does become more I, I haven't read those parts in a long time. I So I don't remember as clearly on that. It does become more serious at the end, but yes, there, it, there's a good mix though. So. Oh, okay, so I'm... So maybe I am splitting hairs to some degree, but I just thought I'd bring it up anyway. So um, one last thing before we, uh, I, I close the topic and then we'll just do a couple headlines and brief before we go tonight. Uh, I have to talk about the Japan foundation itself because that was the first time I've seen its current location. I know it's been there for almost a decade now, but I'd been to the old location a few times and that's where we, uh, where uh, Fred shot had it at one of his, discussions and is in the former location which i, I don't remember how new that new location is actually um, i don't think it's a, i don't think it's a decade i think at most maybe five years or so I, I i'd heard i think 2015 and i talked with a friend and they said he was there who was there when at the time and i think he mentioned like something like 2015 2016 I feel like we were still going to the old location before the pandemic for TCAF events. Yeah, we, we were. That's why I was saying five years at the most. And it was like a year or two before the pandemic. That's why I, I mentioned to you, Kevin, I said, this is the first time I've been to this location and stuff like that uh, ever. May, because yeah. before they were on the Mink Mile and uh, they were encased in glass. Yeah, that, that's the old location. It was a really nice location. It was. How they, yeah. how they, how they had it for so long was uh, is a small... is impressive 
They're in a more modest location now, but not too far away. So just for reference. Right on top of a subway. Oh, hey, it's convenient, isn't it? True. So, but it was nice. It was nice to see the place, and hopefully, it isn't my last visit, or at least uh, the next visit will come sooner rather than later. And it was nice to see the library too, because I think when I told Ken, I said the library was bigger than I thought, and they have a lot of different things in there, obviously for Japanese learning, obviously on the manga side, and they even have some videos there for anime and other uh, live action stuff. So it's interesting, an interesting mix. Mm-hmm. And they also uh, said they have stuff digitally, which is interesting too. So even if oh, yeah, you're yeah. outside Toronto, you can probably access it. I'll probably yeah, I'll probably at least get a digital card at some point to do the uh, to do their um, overdrive stuff. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that was Makoto Yukimura. Hope he's enjoying uh, or enjoying things out east. Okay, before we go this evening, uh, just a couple of uh, headlines in brief. I think we had a I we had a menu of a uh, of four t- four things, but I think uh, we're kind of short for time. So let's just go for just the two big ones. Uh, why, why, what were the four? Two. What were the four? Well, so. How do he's uh, announced another another volume and oh, a yeah and a twenty year concert? By the way, so you know that's just like a nice nice to see another volume out. And then Yen Press will put that out in due time. So that's cool. That's cool. It, it sounds like Jamie Lee Curtis appearing in the live action One Piece is all but a go. Because the two have been the that because uh Curtis and um the showrunner of the live action One Piece have been have been conversing on Twitter. Sounds like it'll I'll happen. I'll believe it when I see it, but yes, it looks optimistic. Okay. Because right, it's so- assumed that she'll she'll play Dr. Kureha. Uh, who okay. is integral to the arc where Chopper gets introduced? Mm-hmm. Okay, two big uh, business, two big uh, things on the business side. Uh, which one do you want to go with first, Right Stuff or Studio Ghibli? Go with Ghibli. Okay, go with Ghibli. Let's go with Ghibli first. TV Nippon to acquire Studio Ghibli as a subsidiary. <clears throat> Happened because, uh, what's this? Uh, Studio Ghibli sold to TV Nippon or Nippon TV after finding no successors for Hayao Miyazaki. Okay. James, uh, Kevin, uh, Cole's Notes version. So they had wanted Goro Miyazaki to take over and stuff like that. That's what the word on the street was. But Hayao Miyazaki did not want his son to take over and stuff like that. And Goro told them after they asked him, he said no. And it was probably out of respect. Uh, for his father and stuff like that and so like a lot of Japanese companies and we had this happen in the visual novel space with Key where they decided to sell out to Tencent because their ownership was getting old and it's like well what do we do and so they're having this issue with the aging population in Japan it's like a lot of people don't have succession like successors in the winds and stuff like that and so for Ghibli is like so what do we do and so they had a long-running relationship with uh, Nippon TV. And basically, they came to agreement that Nippon would acquire 42.3% of their shares to become uh, the major shareholder and basically keep yep. Ghibli alive and stuff like that. Yep, the control even after they leave and stuff like that. And that includes the merchandising, the theme park that they just opened. And so probably once Miyazaki and Suzuki are gone, 
they're probably going to go into overdrive because as we know, Suzuki wasn't happy when he found out some of the Ghibli executives behind his back were selling way more merchandise than he wanted them to. And that's usually not how it goes. So I'm sure they're going to be selling more merchandise uh, once uh, Nippon TV uh, is able to and stuff like that and promoting the theme park uh, even more. So, Well, Suzuki chased away his successor because his successor or ex-successor called him out on using Ghibli funds to employ his Southeast Asian girlfriend who's like 30 years younger than him. So kind of forced their own hand there on that part. And they supposedly say that Goro was approached a number of times and stuff like that. So that's interesting. It's just interesting to, when, when we talk Goro because we've talked at length about the sometime the up and down relationship between father and son there, and I don't know what to make of it. There's an up, huh? Honest question here. There's an up. I know, I know. I, I, I just it just registered that you asked that question, but it, it was just telling. It was just interesting that Goro's name came up, and this is sort of how it went. So okay, or could just wait until Hayao dies. It's all cool. Okay, then he can he can. And he, he can, can do what had the, yeah. had, had the Nippon TV subsidiary, sure. Maybe, maybe Nippon... got another Hayao's maybe got another like 10, 15, 20 years. Depends on how much yeah, not and, and, and okay, let let let's uh, let's measure that in movies. How many movies? I'll say I'll say two. Cool. <laughs> but supposedly uh Nippon TV, supposedly they had started last year, so this had started last year and they came to some sort of agreement, but They'd had the relationship supposedly since uh, 1985 when they showed uh, Nausicaa on their uh, Kinyo Roadshow and had done work with Ghibli uh, since then and stuff like that. So they obviously felt comfortable just like how they feel comfortable with G-Kids doing their international releases for their movies and stuff like that. So I think it'll work itself. And it'll be interesting to see how it turns out for them because... Remember how Madhouse, remember they used to be doing so many things and stuff like that. And then they got acquired by Nippon TV and they still do stuff. It's just not as excessive as it used to be and stuff like that. But they do, I feel like more movies now and stuff like that. Okay. Let's just see what happens. But uh, obviously it sounds like the deal will get done. Well, there is one more thing from Ghibli that was kind of interesting. Oh, okay. bring this that up was you have to bring yeah, up the car. He, yes, Hayao Miyazaki. So everyone knows about his car that he even put in Castle of Cagliostro, and that was uh, the uh, Citroen uh, car that he has, and he still was driving it to the office even while he was doing uh, this latest film and stuff like that, The Boy and the Heron. And so supposedly in Japan, unlike anywhere else in the world, basically they were asking people like the elderly and stuff like that, probably 80 or up or whatever. But since they have so many elderly people there, could you please give up your driver's license? We'd rather you not drive. And supposedly, Hayao Miyazaki and some people decide they're going to show leadership and actually give up their driver's license, unlike everyone else in the world where you can take it from my cold, dead hand. So... It's interesting. He's going to give up his license, Hayao Miyazaki, and then the car, the Citroen car, because he had used it in some of his animated works because he loves that car. They're going to put it in the Ghibli Museum and put it on display for people to see. So 
that'll be uh, fun for people to look at when they get there. And that is the Citron 2CV that was produced between 1949 and 1990, supposedly in Japan. And supposedly they're saying that car was the first front wheel drive car to sell over a million units in Japan, I guess. So that's what he enjoyed driving. <laughs> car for so I have to ask, cool. I have to ask uh, what's everyone's favorite Ghibli movie? I don't think that's ever been asked here. I believe I said Totoro. Strangely, I've always, I've always, I've always maintained my, uh, my, and it's not, it's not Miyazaki. I've always maintained my love for ocean waves. I've always, I've constantly stated that as uh, actually my, my favorite Studio Ghibli piece, even though it's a very, it's not, uh, it's not a Miyazaki one. Although I, 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 although I really liked Porco Rosso too. The first tell that came to mind for me was only yesterday. Okay. And James? Well, I guess if it was Miyazaki, I would look at Pocoroso, but I'm more in the ocean waves camp with uh, Mike. Okay. And, oh, yeah, just, you I'm know, just, actually, it's, it's, it's funny how I was reading the one quote that made me laugh about Miyazaki giving up his license. And he said he wanted to set up a good example, but he said also he wanted to stay out of uh, danger and his driving days were done now. Yeah, he just didn't want to get into that. I, I guess I guess he doesn't have to worry. I'm sure someone will drive him to the studio because he's still going to the studio, they said, to do things. So he still probably is going to make another film. <laughs> As you we know, know they said that he isn't uh, done yet. Yeah, the, it'll be the pen that'll be come, come out of his cold, dead hand, I'm afraid. Because I see people kind of like, oh, lamenting the sale and thinking, oh, well, oh, Ghibli's not going to be the same. But then... Uh, I I was reminded of I just linked it to you guys, but I'm reminded of this uh, sequence of clips from the Kingdom of Dreams and Madness, where the the person asks Miyazaki, like, "Oh, aren't you worried about the future of Ghibli?" And in that series of stills that you'll see in the link. Basically, Miyazaki says, well, the future is clear. It's going to fall apart. I can already see it. And what's the use in worrying? It's inevitable. Ghibli is just a random name I got from an airplane. It's only a name. And then he stares at the sky and says, how pretty. (laughs) But it sounds like it just sounds like it's plausible. Just just sounds real. Okay. See, what's more lamentable is. Uh, yeah, this last point we're talking about how uh, they're basically going to dismantle right stuff. Oh, yeah. And, Thank you. Nice segue. Thank you. And, uh, you know, not surprised. Can't say I'm surprised one bit. And No, I don't think any of us are surprised by that. But because I know, we, uh, it was yeah, going to James, James was saying how uh, not too long ago, it looked like the customer service aspect of right stuff got went kaput as well, right? Well, That's that, not, was, that, was, that was that was last week. So this week was the confirmation, but the week before, we're like, oh, they're going in to overdrive to finally like merge it all together because we lost the phone number from the website, we lost the live chat to the customer service that week too, which tells you, oh. Maybe they're laying off their customer service, which is one of the things they said they were known for that would bring their customers and people trust and stuff like that. And that they praised uh, 
when the merger happened. So that's not a good sign. And that then chat was so fast. And then God Anime basically went kaput and no one could buy it that same week. So that's another uh, question mark right there. I think God Anime was gone we for a little while on. more than last week. I feel like and it's then, been two or three weeks since no, people weren't able to order God Anime. Yeah, but people are really talking about two weeks ago. And then the other thing mm. that happened earlier in the week or two weeks ago, Black Clover was on daily special for like four or five days. Oh, yeah. And they, and they hadn't really changed it. And it was the manga. And so that was kind of a tell, too. It's like so maybe the person who was doing that just disappeared, as they say, right? So you had that. Obviously, Sean left last, um, Sean Kleckner left last December. Then his right-hand woman, uh, Christine, uh, I think it was Christine Morgan, but it was Christine. Believe it was Christine uh, Morgan. Yeah, left in March and stuff like that. So they had no um, executives there. And so I'm guessing it was run out of California under the Emerging Businesses platform for Crunchyroll, which uh, the fellow Terry Lee does. And so he was running it out of there. And so I guess now they're just going to use that Iowa location as a warehouse and stuff like that for them. And so now it's like, okay, we got to merge everything. And just like uh, Funimation became a part of Crunchyroll and all that dubbing stuff in Dallas just became a part of Crunchyroll. Now, right stuff has become a part of Crunchyroll and stuff like that. And that's where uh, we're at. Yeah, it's just, it, it just sounds uh, like they're funneling everything. You, like, anime everything is just is just going through Crunchyroll and Sony. Now it's now it's even more on the on the uh, physical goods too. Like it, like it's just it feels like Sid Vicious the wrestler. I am Sid Vicious and Sid Vicious rules the world. And that's where we're, and that seems to be it just feels more and more like Sony's ruling the anime world. That uh, Crunchyroll is is really really doing this. The thing is like 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 Kevin said, this was coming. We knew we knew this moment would eventually happen when uh, when Crunchyroll acquired uh, Right Stuff. We were so, already buying from Crunchyroll anyway by proxy and stuff like that. And, so, and yeah. and so here's the thing: if if the packaging stays Right Stuff quality. We won't have as much to worry about. I think it's going to go towards the Crunchyroll store side. That's what yeah, Mike is telling that's me the thing on why packaging because that I is why think, they're freaking out. I think they're already letting out, as you said, customer service is gone. So now we're just going to have to send in a form and hope uh, we find a human being one day to answer our questions because that was a great thing to be able to call someone and talk to a real life human being. And you know what I mean? Work I'm gonna miss stuff like that, and then I'm gonna miss Alucard talking to me on the phone, telling me that to was... just give me a moment, and for Captain Tyler to also tell me to wait one moment, and then usually yeah, get most of mine is minutes. Captain Tyler, yeah, from Crispin Freeman. Yeah, but, but it was the thing is, I know their customer care. They went through a lot during the um, pandemic and stuff like that, and they and they sent emails saying. We're just asking you to be nice to our customer care people. And that happened across a few industries. And so I feel this is like a double whammy on them and stuff like that, because I think some of them may have known that was coming 
probably Sean Kleckner was hoping that he could delay the inevitable, but I think he had to find an exit strategy. And unfortunately, uh, this is how it turned down and stuff like that. And some people have done parallels to uh, Star Wars and stuff like that being sold to uh, Disney or LucasArts sold to Disney that by Lucas, but you only can do uh, the best you can do. Yeah, I, I, I'm not surprised. I think Sean probably saw it coming, but, but you know, yeah, what? I I don't think it's as bad as getting, uh, was with Funimation, stuff like that. Buy, buy back, sell again and stuff like that. Like I have more faith in uh, Sean Kleckner in that because I know people have made some comments, but I think he was trying to do right by everyone and he did the best he could. Well, you know, you don't have anyone taking over, so that's just what you got to do. That's just, and it's the evolution. It's just the way business has just evolved. And that's how small business, it's like you got to find a path and stuff like that. And the past probably closed in, uh, as we know, especially once uh, everything started consolidating and stuff like that. And who knows how many years he had left based on selling physical goods and stuff like that. Because remember, Crunchyroll stores there and they would have pushed a lot of the merchandising on their side. And that would have been the last part of the physical thing he could still uh, deal with. Yeah. Just as yeah. I said, just the evolution. And just some, and just some quick notes uh, before we go tonight for the audience. So Dirty Pure Kickstarter still ongoing. That's not they being affected send- so far as we're aware. They did send an update on that. So the day of, they sent an update saying they'd send more updates. They gave two of the episodes that they dubbed. They gave a link to, and you could watch it for a few weeks. But they had one from uh, the director and then from uh, someone at Noizomi. So they said, don't worry, will be completed. I knew that likely was going to happen. I bet you they had that in the contract as well between Kleckner and Crunchyroll. They also said for Nozomi that the macro, the macro stuff they had announced and any of the contracts they have will still be released and stuff like that. And, and they that said all the, Nozomi stuff is fine for the time and, being. And the fact that all the Gundam stuff, which is their deal with Sunrise, is probably still going to continue and stuff like that. So the Nozomi thing is going to be okay. The other thing is, as they said, uh, John Cerebella had uh, put something out there on uh, YouTube saying his contact at Right Stuff had told him that they're no longer going to do or accept his live action stuff. So that's going to be a question mark going forward about how much of the stuff is going to transition over to the Crunchyroll store. So that's a question mark to be had. The other thing is in the FAQs. So they talk a lot about U.S. and Canada. Luckily, we're in Canada. So all of our stuff is going to transition as if it's normal and stuff like that. And any pre-orders we've done will still be shipped to us and we'll still be able to order who knows about free shipping we'll for Canada. That, that, could, that could be something that could be uh, sacrificed, but we'll have to wait and see. But I still big- have volumes of Natsume's Book of Friends back ordered from a right stuff sale from over two years ago. The problem is those books are currently out of print. We'll We'll see if those get fulfilled, which I don't think they will. Yeah, there's certain times where maybe they may say cut the losses and say no. But I think for the most part, we'll be okay. But everyone outside of U.S. and Canada, 
They haven't said anything about transitioning accounts. They haven't said anything about are they going to be able to order through the Crunchyroll store because the Crunchyroll store basically deals with Canada and the U.S. and stuff like that. So there's a lot of question marks about everyone outside of U.S. and Canada that haven't really been answered to their fullest. They and already then, announced which countries they won't serve. Okay. Do, yeah. do you remember which countries? I'm guessing it's just the usual suspects. I assume it's the usual suspects. Like a lot of these like Polynesian countries, probably some Asian countries, actually all of Asia. Uh, and then I'm assuming some African countries, depending. I didn't really notice any European countries on that list. The other interesting thing that they had to mention and that I think made it this was probably the fastest they were going to get it done because I know some people thought they were going to get this merger done sooner is that they talk about the holiday sale and that's one of the big things about right stuff and so they said we're still going to have the holiday sale now known as the Crunchyroll holiday sale and they say there may be some changes to the way the way the sale operates so you never know. Maybe you'll be playing forty percent above uh, recommended uh, retail price. Who knows? Hey, James, but, that's just silly. Okay. All right. No, I hate to tell you, but the other thing that's not even have, a sale, James. People have noted, as they say, remember the Crunchyroll store. Supposedly, they are charging at MSRB for a lot of their stuff, and yeah. only the members at a certain tier get ten percent off. So that's another question mark in people's mind. Especially, so that's why I make that uh, offhand remark about their holiday sale. But we'll see how it goes uh, with that on the holiday sale. But I think the way I see it, okay. from my prediction: no, last, no last mega day. daily sales. Uh, they're not going to bring all the deals back on the last day. May, it may just be one week. That's it, and probably lower discounts. And think, uh, so, yeah, but. In terms of like the the live action stuff, yep, this screws over Media Blasters, this screws over Discotech, this screws over Wellgo. Uh, there's another company whose mind I'm forgetting right now. The question Maybe is, smaller, releases. I was thinking smaller manga companies as well. Like you think of Glacier Bay has done stuff through um, Right Stuff, as well as uh, Kitan and all those other ones. Like it makes you wonder, are they going to be able to work through the Crunchyroll store or how that's going to work with the smaller publishers and stuff like that? And I think that's another reason why they want to do it now before the holiday, because they want to get all their ducks in a row. They couldn't do it the last year because they priori had agreements for what the sales were going to be for 2022. But 2023, they've gone where they're gone. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. But it's probably going to be a bumpy road, I'd say. You got and now admit. people are scrambling for alternatives. Mm-hmm. But, you, but we you, should say we didn't thing. mention uh, we didn't actually mention dates in that, and that is October tenth. So that's when that's right. October tenth is when right stuff is going to be phased out, and they're going to migrate all the products and all that stuff to the Crunchyroll store. Then on the twenty fifth of October, U.S. and Canada, they're going to migrate our accounts. To the Crunchyroll store, and I'm guessing if we have something at Crunchyroll, if it's the same email address, they're going to figure out a way to make it all work. And then we're only going to have data 
since 2020. That's what they said for previous orders. So any of the previous orders we already have in right stuff, they're uh, going to be vaporware. vaporware. And then uh, we'll see what happens uh, from there. So, okay. Oh, but they did mention the So, if you don't want to migrate to uh, Crunchyroll Store and all that stuff, they talked about the October twenty fifth about sending an email. It's a negative to write stuff about saying you don't want to opt in. Yeah, basically so, a negative option, right? Which it'll be interesting to see how many people do it because there's a lot of people that have said I'm done. I'm just like, there were some that said they were done when they merged, right? Now there are even more that said, I'm done now. And so they're looking at the other options, whether it's Amazon, which people said don't like uh, how they pack things and stuff like that. So we'll see how the packing goes going no. forward after the full on merger. And then people are looking at uh, Robert's Anime Corner Store, uh, even oh. though he has his interesting moments of no. how he sells certain things. Don't go to. Don't go to Robert's yeah. Anime Corner Store. And I then, didn't even bother to update his website from like okay. 2001. And then Discotech uh, had made a comment on this and they said, given, you know how they talked about Canada, right? And uh, their scale and then there was a reason why it was tough for them to find a distributor in Canada, given how niche they are. Well, they talk about that on the US side and stuff like that, about why they're right stuff in Amazon, mostly, right? And they obviously are some other spots in the U.S. as well. But they said, we're in a wait-and-see mode at the moment, but we're exploring our options. I know. So it, it's just a lot of scrambling uh, at the news. But as I said, this was coming. And it's nothing personal. It's just business. Who knows? Maybe they'll give us an extra discount uh, with our PS Plus that they jacked up, too. Oh boy, wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool? But and and maybe a, and that's another story and another thought for another time. I mean, just just to just to end it off. Remember, we talked about how how uh, how so, how PlayStation would want to leverage its anime uh, leverage anime fandom into the into the platform. I'm still waiting. Don't worry, one day, uh, basically the only place you'll be able to watch Crunchyroll is on your PlayStation 5 or future PlayStation console, and you'll have to be a PS Plus member. Yeah, that'll, that'll be a day to look forward to. <laughs> but I will leave that for another time. That's all we got for tonight, because it's, uh, well, we all got to sleep too. Once again, if you want to contact us, AnimeRoundtable at gmail.com, at AnimeRoundtable, AnimeRoundtable.com, twitch.tv slash AnimeRoundtable, and our YouTube channel. As for the podcast side, first and foremost, because that's what we always are, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, places like that. Because we're always looking for good reviews. We're always looking to be on the better side of the algorithm. What type of reviews are we looking for again? Oh my god, Pari Tagaki got married. I only just see this now. And yes, five stars, please. Oh, okay. Put that, please put that link up. We'll uh, we'll put it at the very end. And she's wearing the chicken mask still while she's wearing her wedding dress. Oh, wow, that's this I gotta see. This this one I gotta see. <laughs> well, we, we, yes, we, five we, stars, five yes. stars. We've long met quota and and we'll always try to do at least well a couple recordings every given month but give us a subscribe like or follow on any of the platforms we're on so you can be notified whenever we do something 
Also, if you have a Spotify account, please check out the Anime Roundtable playlist for a list of music based on things we've mentioned on this show. The theme song is entitled Fubuki Snowstorm by Pico Misaki. You can check out more of her music at PicoInfinity.com or on Facebook at Pico Zen Music. You could have listened to any anime podcast in the world, but you decide to listen to this one and we all really do appreciate it. So until next time, thanks for listening. Good night from Toronto and join us again for another edition of the Anime Roundtable. Just sent you the Twitter link. Gotta see these wedding photos. Gotta see these wedding photos. Well, it's wow. only one photo, but... Hey, it's he. Hey. So the Twitter translation is, got married. My food diary for the past three years has been made by my husband. I would like to continue drawing fun manga using my husband's power of fuel, food as fuel. This, I'll, I'll, I'll see the photo in a moment. <laughs> and bless you. Thank you.